there, listeners, and welcome back to Drunk Book Club, where sometimes people commission us to talk about weird books they remember. <laughs> this is certainly weird. My name is Vry, uh, I'm they, them, and with me as always is Dorothy, who is she and her. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Now, as I mentioned, this is one of our commission episodes, brought to you so kindly by one of our patrons, in this case... Uh, they asked us to introduce them as Jester or at List Sexual on all the various social medias. And they requested that we read the 2009 YA novel Wings by April Lynn Pike, which people are talking about on Twitter as though it is a nostalgic series from their childhoods, which did make me shrivel up into dust in the wind. I had never heard of this before the commission. Like, at all. Me neither. I mean, it was, It like, was part of that whole boom of paranormal romance. Yeah, it was kind of right after I was getting out of reading a bunch of YA fiction as I was getting into college. But didn't you mostly read the poetic kind? I didn't read so much YA paranormal romance. I, I liked the more... Yeah, the, the more lyrical-leaning stuff, and also contemporary things like uh, what Maureen Johnson and David Levithan were doing. So Stuff about real struggles, like body image and... And gay shit. I, I also read those... Uh, well, you and... know, I can see the connection here. <laughs> Think it might have been relevant? Oy. So yeah, it's possible that I just missed it happening, because apparently it's... It, Sold quite well. I have no memory of this. Yeah, me neither. Jester said in their email that uh, it's a book I borrowed from a library years ago when I was a kid and parts of it stuck in my mind. But when looking it up a few months ago, I fell into a rabbit hole of absolutely abysmal Goodreads reviews for it. Which is <laughs> the promising beginning <laughs> to literally any story. Yep. <laughs> I did not look up Goodreads because I wanted to be pure and unpainted. <laughs> Just like the heroine of this novel. We should probably start off with all the content warnings. Not to be insensitive, but the content warnings are almost a joke in and of themselves. It's just shockingly, predictably, scientifically engineered. Yeah, there's a lot of explicit name dropping of Stephanie Meyer. I... Do kind of wonder if they knew each other. You pointed out in the acknowledgement section, there is a note about to Stephanie, who opened so many doors for me. Mm -hmm. And Meyer does blurb the, uh, at least the paperback copy that we got. So, yeah, if this looks exactly like a... A lot of books were jumping on the Twilight mold because that's what makes money. And I don't begrudge people for wanting to get their paycheck. You know, you get your foot in the door somehow in the publishing world. It's vicious. But this isn't just we are chasing the trend now that publishers are demanding of us. It, like Dorothy said, has that very manufactured thing of I am aware and of the same circles as Stephanie Meyer. And I will make my novel of the thing that she sold. Content warnings abound for eating disorders, disordered eating and body image, body dysmorphia, stuff, that whole- Fat phobia, um, ableism. A lot of ableism. General shitty treatment of people based on their looks. A lot of 
anti-vax adjacent shit. We, to the point that I had to spend some time on Twitter confirming that this woman was not an anti-vaxxer. She is not. She she claims on her Twitter to have gotten vaccinated and gotten her kids vaccinated. I will put it that way. But boy, yeah, there is a lot of homeopathic shit in this book. Um, medical neglect. Irresponsible treatment of health. Bad science. That's not really a trigger warning, but... I'm almost prepared to give that par for the course in an extremely genre yeah, but it's YA novel. It's like bad science outside of the YA part. Mm. And I shouldn't blame this on YA. I should say extremely genre tropey fantasy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The drunk make word bad. Are there any other trigger warnings? I don't think so. Uh, drowning. Drowning and uh, some creepy sexual harassment stuff. Oh, so before we dive into it, Dorothy, do you want to talk about what we are drinking this fine evening? It's so very exciting, after all. This was a hard one to come up with because the heroine literally, like, only consumes canned peaches and Sprite. Not a joke. So, the cocktail for tonight is one-third peach-infused vodka to two-thirds Sprite with a green maraschino cherry. Now on Twitter, I did post an extremely cursed photo of what would have been an appropriate vodka for this drink, which is Skinny Girl Vodka. Yes. Which, as we all know, is a uh, less calorie dense for the vodka drinkers in the audience. Right, Dorothy? That literally just means it has less alcohol. It's not even technically... A vodka. It's technically a flavored vodka because it doesn't have enough alcohol in it to be vodka. Legally. The reason it has less calories is because it has less alcohol. You're welcome. It also tastes like shit, so... You've tasted it? I may have been at a party that offered some skinny girl vodka where I, a person with no taste for liquor... Had a little bit of it and can only remember, this kind of tastes like shit. Yeah. But instead we got something that looked equally cursed but was slightly more workable for money. It had a flavor. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, it is peach infused. By which we mean it has some very distressing looking, probably at one point, dried peaches in it. Mummy peaches just floating in there. I've made infused vodkas in the past. I know that they always look weird. But since you've left the bits of peach in there, I'm going to point out that they look gross and weird. So yes, skinny girl vodka would have been the appropriate choice, but I couldn't. It would have taken so many more drinks. We love you all. And I did suggest that we lie, but Dorothy believed in in accountability. Integrity. Integrity, (laughs) y'all. So honestly, I feel like in this case, the non-alcoholic version with like a peach lemonade or something would be tastier. Mm hmm. Alright, so, Wings. The year is 2009. The Twilight Saga is still being published. We are four years out from the publication of the first one in 2005. Yes, everybody was living in harmony until Twilight attacked. The tides had just begun to turn to a slightly uh, more murdery vent because The Hunger Games had been published the year before. Right. Thus solidifying the... 
two love interests formula, which I maintain to this day was a publisher demand on that novel because the whole Gale is an alternate love interest thing makes no damn sense. Because he should have been the main love interest? No, because he shouldn't have been a love interest at all. There's plenty of ingrained conflict with the between Katniss so, and, and Peeta. So, so you fully ship Cat P? I am an ardent fan of Cat P. I have to admit that I didn't know what the Hunger Games it was at first. So the first few times I heard, saw people talking about it and talking about Katniss and Peeta, I just assumed Peeta was a girl's name. Oh, uh, it's not that cool. And then, no, I realized it was just bread. Yeah, it's just bread. That that was like the last really big franchise that I read in the YA scene. Not because YA is bad, it's just because I haven't had time to read any books. Mm. And, yeah, no, point of contention. The whole fake dating, oh no, murder thing had plenty of conflict for a novel before you had to crowbar this other shit in. Okay, I do love a fake dating thing. yes. But I've heard a lot of people also cape very heavily for Gail should be the only true love interest and Peta should just be a bro. They're wrong and incorrect. The entire structure of the novels would fall apart. <laughs> the fact that I still have more strong opinions about a novel that I read literally a decade ago now. Literally? Literally a decade ago than this one we read some weeks I ago. I finished this one today. And you will have forgotten it by tomorrow, I guarantee, and not just because of the alcohol. It, it is a quick read, I'll give it that. It's very snappy, functional prose. Like, I cannot take that away from Pike. That is a skill, to be able to do that very quick to absorb, but... Oh. You can skim it. Yes, that is a way that you could put that. I'm also vaguely offended by her choice of the name Pike for her moniker. How dare... Christopher's right over here. Right. How dare you try and cash in on Christopher's clout I mean, paranormal romance. I don't want to alarm you. That might just be her name. April in the Pike. Well, it's obviously probably her married name if it is, not a pen name. It feels... Yeah, this is Mormon porn, by the way. Yeah. She uh, was born in Salt Lake City. She is now a Florida woman, but at the time... She, she grew up in Idaho and then moved back to Utah and then moved to Florida. So it definitely has those... It is not explicitly... Nobody in this is Mormon. Right. But it's that stealth Mormonism, just like Twilight, where we're just sneaking it into the wider culture. Neither here nor there. Just a thing for your background of your brain as we... Uh, go on actually somewhat notably compared to the stuff that i remember reading around this time our heroine laurel is not actually an every girl but she totally pretends that she thinks she is like this is some fucking 1984 double think shit where she pretends she thinks she's an every girl we have not had a character like this since are you going to say Anita Blake? Because if you don't, I'm going to say Anita Blake. Oh, no, it's definitely an Anita Blake. But I was going to say, I meant on the show. Since Exit to Eden. Yeah, same vibes. Like, I'm vaguely aware that I'm extremely sexy and make everybody cream in their pants. But I don't really notice it, though. I don't get it. Because she is, of course, extremely thin. She wears tank tops all the time because she likes 
you know, being able to feel the sun on her skin. And she short has, shorts for the same reason and always flip flops. She has long flaxen hair and an absolutely perfect complexion. And pale colored eyes. Just an absolutely perfect blonde bombshell. But very naturally, of course. Has never even considered doing anything about her appearance. But, like, here's the thing, though. Again, she is aware of this. I know. Because there are constant shitty asides picking at everyone that she looks at. And it's explicitly in her POV. And it's explicitly her making these judgment calls. Like, when she sees someone with straight teeth, she literally thinks, that person has teeth that are as straight and even as mine, which means they must have had braces, unlike me. It's very odd, because, like, as frustrated as, even as a teenager, I kind of got with the whole self-insert protagonist who is kind of unassuming and has that no one could ever possibly notice me except for the special love interest. That's part of the teen wish fulfillment genre. There's, I put up there's both a place of my for that. Metal fingers. <laughs> exactly. This is prep. Mm. This this is the prep version of well, Ebony to Bark- Darkness Dementia Raven Way. There's, or I guess the hippie version. But like, there's a place for that in YA, right? Because you want you want to have this feeling like I am a teenager with self esteem issues, and but I want to feel like I'm special and have that sort of fantasy. This is a skinny, perfect girl who knows how hot she is and thinks everyone else is beneath her. And what reader is this for? Yeah, it's really weird. It's somehow more irritating, I would say, than, you know, the classic Bella of, I'm just, I'm a mouse burger. What can I say? You know what? I will give the Twilight fandom credit for their reclamation of Bella and her (laughs) thirst. I respect it. The Twilight fandom has truly bloomed into its truest and best form, and I am happy for them. I don't support Laurel, who sucks. Mm-mm. I try to be really... She's worse than the chick from The Silver Kiss whose name escapes me. Yeah, I... Who had a very similar aura of, I'm extremely sexy and big-boobed and perfect. And even but then... Gosh, me... I feel like I, I I wanted to have some sympathy for that because she had the sort of family angst of, you know, dying family member. I don't know how to communicate with people. I'm being thrust into this responsibility. Technically, Laurel has that too, but it's her own fault. Yeah. Yeah, you fucked that up. <laughs> also, lest we mention, she is, of course, a strict vegan, uh, which in this book's understanding means... When she eats half a slice of peach from her mom's uh, organic canned peaches, she feels uh, guilty and ashamed. And she also... Especially when anyone sees her consume a thing. She also... No, no. She also eats exclusively raw vegetables and so much Sprite. Yes, she drinks Sprite. It's her favorite drink. And it is really really gross i feel like this is the most upsetting part of the novel until the third act until the third act but still it's present in the third act it's just sort of this overwhelming miasma it's really uncomfortable actually yeah it's one of those things that when you first mention it's like why is this a big deal okay she has weird eating that's just a a tell for her supernatural origins but it's so dog whistly of 
Anna and uh, it and really feels Mia like a, stuff. a pro-Anna text. And it's gross and creepy and it made me uncomfortable the whole time I was reading it. Yeah, it's almost this tacit, you know, of course you're not a fairy in real life. That would be silly, but look how special and pure your body is because you take so little in. Mm-hmm. It's not about her being vegan. Her being vegan is an excuse for, gosh, you eat so little and you're so pure and special. It's really gross. Yeah, it's very uncomfortable. And it will not let you forget it. And also, because you eat so little, your skin is perfect and you never have to wear makeup. And your skin is- And you is never have to poop. Of yeah, she doesn't- No one noticed that she hasn't pooped for 15 years. Like, it's not mentioned in the text, but we all know this girl does not shit. No. She might just have a smooth... <laughs> Although, she's eating a lot of roughage, so she might have very regular shits. She's a plant, though. Yes, so she so wants... the shtick. One day she wakes up to see that she has her very first pimple, and it's on her back, and it grows and grows and becomes a giant flower. It's very Spider-Man 2003 we should probably mention she has just moved to a new town away from the home that her family has farmed in the woods of the Pacific Northwest for, you know, generations. The Pacific Northwest, you say? Well, that area is crowded, you know, all the vampires. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what with the vampires and the exploitative portrayals of Native American peoples. So she has moved to this combination small town and also bigger city. It's whatever it needs to be for the individual It's very a combo platter, considering that the library has literally three shelves of books. But also it has a major hospital, which will become relevant later. Well, he gets transferred from one hospital to another, even. Two hospitals in this town with a library that has three shelves. Dos. So she's, you know, been the out-of-towner getting to know a nice boy at the school. Who is actually nice. He's actually nice. Yeah, actually, I like David. David is a nice guy and not a nice guy. He's a nice guy. And the first couple chapters where they're just kind of getting to know each other and genuinely forming a rapport, I thought were very pleasant. I didn't even hate Laurel during those bits, aside from the weird eating disorder things, because they had like a nice, ah, shucks, you kids, very scrubbed babysitter's club kind of thing going on. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course, he has a... uh, a hanger-on chick who is aware that she will never have the opportunity to get down on that dick. So she's just happy for him, named Chelsea. Poor Chelsea. I hope Chelsea's book is going well. Like, I hope Chelsea is involved in a much more interesting book. Me too. And also, David's mom is a slut. Sorry. Is divorced. You, uh, you got a little uh, a tech, subtext on your text there. It's putting in lip service to not being slut-shamey about it, which maybe it's my cynicism always reads to me when there's one-off lines like that as, well, this was an editorial note. Yeah, like, actually, we are being slut-shamey about it. We want you to know that this is unacceptable, but I want you to know that Laurel is a big-hearted person who would accept the repentance of this slut. They go to a Protestant church, but also her mom, his mom, uh dates around a lot and has a lot of casual boyfriends which like she seems to have only started doing once david was an older teen and also after 
His father abandoned them. Like, literally abandoned them. Also, his father is rich and moved away to the big city and sends a helicopter to hang out with David. This is absolutely never relevant. Like, they don't use the helicopter at any point during the, like, climax. Well, no, you know what happens if you get into a helicopter? It'll crash in the mountains, and then you'll run into some asshole billionaire rapist in there. Like, my point is, it has no effect on the text because also his mom is a good woman who wouldn't dream of taking any child support monies from her rich husband. She works, thank you. Ma'am. If we're not married, I've got no justification for taking money from you. Ma'am. I respect your work ethic. Take the money. Well, but also the money's not hers to refuse. It's her child. Just saying. But the more salient thing about David's mom is that she's just darn obsessed with pills for every little thing. And and not like drugs. Like, it's not even like she's on on fucking... No, this is not... She is not taking dolls. She's just the sort of parodic kill it with antibiotics every time you've got a cold type of person. As opposed to Laurel's mother, who is an anti-vaxxing hippie. She Laurel's she does, never had a vaccine. She does fake homeopathic medicine bullshit that even textually is not anything. It doesn't work. I mean, should that be a point in this book's favor that her homeopathic bullshit doesn't do anything? Except that it's portrayed as making you feel nicer than typical medicine, which also doesn't work. The only thing that works is fairy powers. Yeah. And once again, there is a note that to me, a cynical person who has also been an editor that reads of, uh, add this in, where David's like, wow, it sounds like they could both learn something from each other. And no. Stop that. You stop that. We're supposed to find it charming that our heroine is shitty at biology, but leeches off this boy that she's not sure if she wants to date or not in biology by having him tutor her, but also acting like she's not interested in dating. I mean, it's really weird because she's clearly, she clearly wants to date him, but also wants to pretend she doesn't want to date him. I didn't even read it that way so much as the book gets to the point where it would be natural for them to start maybe kind of messing around, but it doesn't really have a good reason for her to be anxious about it because then it would have to talk about sex and like whether she has anxieties about sex. But it so establishes instead, so much about that letter. Uh-huh. So instead it's just like, oh, I'm not sure I want to date you. And there's not really any deeper psychological element to that. And then she grows a flower on her back. Yep. And she freaks out about it for a while David does some science on it and discovers... Because he's the science boy. He is a science boy. He's a nice science boy. Oh, Dean Venture, why? He really is just Dean Venture. Except not as shitty. A less shitty Dean Venture. A less shitty Dean Venture who somehow ended up dating, like, a boho prep instead of a goth. Downgrade. So Laurel's blood is chlorophyll. Her blood is sap. Excuse me. She intakes chlorophyll. Yeah, she's a plant. And this... And her lady flower is blossoming. It is astonishing to me that I am completely unmoved by this development, because I think I have made it clear that we are extremely into body horror shit. But this is just... 
part of it is undoubtedly due to the market it is selling to. Although I read Darren Sean's uh, Demonata books, which were also for a YA market, and that shit got grotesque. This is no K.A. Applegate? It is not a K.A. Applegate. And I I think it's because it thinks that its teenage girl audience would not want to read about gross, icky stuff. Which, Whereas, excuse me. Excuse. I knew many teenage girls who liked reading about gross, icky shit and would have found it relatable to be terrified of their bodies <laughs> before learning it's cool, actually. But it's so... Oh, also, she's never had a period. Very important to the plot. It should be so weird and alien and there's so many possibilities of what you could do with your body being kind of an unknown to you and realizing that for all your life you never thought about these things, but it's afraid to be too, to do anything with it beyond her kind of cutting her finger and clear liquid coming out. In an exchange that frankly sounds Melvillian in its prose. If you know what I mean. Please vamp while I look up Just this. gonna squeeze. Really. Milk. Yeah. That finger. <laughs> David was gently applying pressure to the end of her middle finger. A bead of clear liquid pulled out. What is that? Laurel asked. I'm more concerned with what it's not, David replied. It's not red. Dude, that's no way to treat a girl dick. <laughs> right? Like, come on. <laughs> Move your hand up and down. Get some friction up in there. That is, of course, the closest to uh, sexually intimate. Well, that's not There's true. smooches. And we have our we have our necessary bad boy character who has no regard for consent. Yep. But we haven't got to him yet. Yeah, so the body horror is extremely disappointing, and but David, but her being her, a good dude, but her pure and perfect lady flower is very pretty. So he decides that he will help her hide this flower, which is of <laughs> you course. You know what I mean. <laughs> there would be. This is not some loveless. Sh actually, it is just some loveless shit. Some Georgia O'Keeffe shit. No, that would mean acknowledging that gays exist. No, no, Georgia O'Keeffe claims that those were not vaginas. Those were they not were vulvas. vulvas. They were not anything. How dare you? I'm sorry, Ms. O'Keeffe, for <laughs> noticing uh, the, the sapphism in your extremely gay paintings. <laughs> so, distressed by this knowledge... Laurel decides to go back to their old house, which her mom has been trying to sell and cannot seem to, and it's really becoming a problem for them. to sell it since she was 19 years old. And they're in their 60s now. I did math. That's a long time. Yeah, Laurel's parents are in their 60s because she was found in a basket on their porch. Well, yeah, like all good Thumbelinas. Yep. And she just can't seem to get rid of this damn thing for reasons she doesn't understand. And it's becoming a problem because they can't afford to keep paying for a house back in the Pacific Northwest and this new place where they live. And also the business the isn't doing Northwest, well. But mm -hmm. her, her dad runs a cozy bookshop. Which, historically, big bank on that. Every cozy bookshop I've known of was a hobby business. 
her, her mom does not work except in that she, you know, talks other people into not pursuing medical assistance for their dis- for their discomforts. I feel as though I should note that Pike is herself a doula, which is a real medical profession that you have to get training and certification and shit for. But, but you I would not know it from this book. Yes. <laughs> I don't. I wouldn't trust Pike to be my doula. Mm-hmm. Also, like, again, doula is a very real thing that's very valuable and important. But also, people involved in the midwifery profession have aggressively caused people's deaths based on ideological lines. Mm-hmm. Like, medical ethics and shit. This has been Medical Ethics Corner. I feel as though we'll be here again. No, no, we're not. We're not qualified. Yeah. Also, we're drunk. Those two things are not related. So, wandering around the woods of her childhood home, she finds an asshole. Yep. And not her own. Like, she's exploring, but not that. I don't think she has one. No, I don't think she has one either. Which you would think her parents would have noticed, but... And his name is not Tamarin, despite how often my name... My... It's either Tamani or Tammany. I go with Tammany, like the location. And I am a weeb, so I went with Tamani. Yeah. Either way, it's a reference to Tamlin. We learn that he has been in charge of stalking her since she was a baby because she's a fairy that was left on this couple's doorstep. Also, the physical description of his, him is great because he's like, you know... Tall and perfectly symmetrically handsome and cut and ripped and stuff and walks around in like sometimes floofy shirts and uh and retro pants and sometimes tight shirts and retro pants. That's right. He's every vaguely hot guy that you remember from the your third bee staying in at the Ren Fair. But he has green eyes and quote somehow he'd managed to dye just the roots. The same brilliant green as his eyes. It just... And he glamours her into following him into the woods to tell her about her mysterious backstory, but also promises he'll never do that again, and it wouldn't work even if he tried. So this boy is never going to roofie and rape her, y'all. Don't worry. And um, also he he tells her, but not really tells her, about her precious lady flower. Except to laugh at the idea that he might have one. Because Gelflings, sorry. Fairies, only the ladies bloom. Which brings us to the beautiful secret of fairy life. Which is, of course, that they're all born out of flowers. You know, that's mythologically accurate. Yep, they're plants. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't hate that as an idea. I don't, but it very much annoys me that they still have dicks and vulvas. You know, for funsies, because the fairies fuck. That's the, the fairies fuck for funsies, but reproduction is done via magical finger banging of the flowers on your uh, on your back. I feel as though I should mention here that I did some reading of uh, the extremely detailed plot synopses of the other three books in the series, which I will not be reading beyond that. And uh, I even from the Wikipedia descriptions, I noticed quite a bit of hand wringing about how. People only do hand fasting if they're going to have a child together. People just do regular hookups for sex. It's for fun. 
And this is, of course, all very shameful. Mm-hmm. Gosh, if only we could have some old-fashioned traditional monogamy. Which does not sound like this girl, frankly. This boring-ass girl. But, yeah, fairies reproduced by finger-banging their back flowers. He jizzes on her. So romantic. Yeah, he, he leaves some glitter on her arm. Which apparently is just... He jizzed in his hands. How dare you? That's his precious pollen for her lady flower. He could have gotten her pregnant on their first meeting and might have just never mentioned it if she hadn't asked. Well, but he didn't finger bang her back flower with it. So it's fine. It's fine that he just left his gist smear <laughs> on her after she mentioned that she had a dude she was maybe seeing. Every pollen's sacred. Every pollen's good. <laughs> but don't worry. We can't be dealing with this flower for the entire novel, so it only blooms seasonally. And then it eventually falls back out, which gives her the and, chance. And uh, it blooms in the fall because she is the second most powerful type of fairy in the entire world. She's so special. Yeah, there's a caste system thing that doesn't really show up here, but is apparently a big deal in the other books. Where your spring fairies aren't very powerful and they're usually doing sentry and grunt work. And that's Red what Chance. Tam is. Yeah. And she is a special fall fairy and they're all herbalists. Do you see it? like connects to the homeopathic bullshit and then you have uh winter fairies are all out are all like unsealy and uh banned and then summer fairies no, are no, you... the, the winter fairies are the most powerful mm. and summer fairies do glamour shit but before her magical special flower falls out she is able <laughs> you know to go no that nobody she's deflowered nobody fucks in this book no but she does get to go to the winter formal, as it were. Very it's like homecoming. But, you know, conveniently situated in the calendar to make it happen. And they dress her up like Romeo plus Juliet at the uh, masquerade ball. Mm-hmm. Where they yeah. pretend well, her- Well, David does. Mm-hmm. Because David is clever and cool. He, he is an, he's a nice, appropriate first boyfriend. Mm. I like him. He reminds me of uh, the the first boyfriend from um, the the Don Rochelle books, like the one that was much more interesting and nice than this other dude. Yeah, Camp Boy. Yeah, before Camp Luke Boy came around. Yeah, yeah. David doesn't have a chance in hell. I don't know because Tam is the childhood friend, and I hate him. He's not as bad as some. Of boyfriends of this type honestly he's just kind of weird and handsy and has a lot of creepy lines that are supposed to be sexy and suggestive because we're doing the dichotomy that you usually do in why i love triangles where you have the dude who's really nice and you get along with and it's a comfortable intimate emotionally relationship and then you have the dude who is sexually intriguing and that's scary because you're a teenager and you aren't really sure what sex is about i get why this dynamic exists i just hate the way this character usually expresses. And this one particularly. I hate him. Mm-hmm. He sucks. So after she has her very special night at the ball where everyone is so jealous where of how beautiful she is. Later, but not in a nasty way. Not in a way where they're mean to her. They just all wish they could be as good as her. But they're not. Nope. 
she's like special by birth. She's she special and prettier. This does remind me very much of Robot McFuckhands, the book. Just saying. It doesn't take quite that that turn into uh, misogynist geneticist screeds. But thematically, uh-huh. the way it's operating, she is just it is not dissimilar from Chrome. Inherently better. In that the fantasy has veered into a totally intolerable realm. So, um, her mom's trying to sell the house. And the fairies are like, no, no, you're so sexy, don't sell the house. Because the land is on the gate to Avalon, where all the fairies hang out. And Why is it in America? We don't know. Because all things are in America. That's why all the angels came I mean, over here with Jesus. I mean, to be fair, yes. The most recent revelation of books of the Bible did happen in America. That's right. And she mentions that people thought that angels were fairies. And how would they know about angels unless it was the angels who visited Joseph Smith? (laughs) Again, nobody in this book is Mormon, but... But, like, this is a Mormon book. It's kind of fascinating. So the fairies have been doing everything to prevent this land from being sold, up to and including repeatedly brainwashing Laurel's parents so they won't notice that she is the uh, Trojan baby. Yeah, so Laurel was placed with her parents as an infant, well, as a three-year-old looking baby. Because we need her to have this whole past with Tam so that they can angst about it. Yeah. But she consented to this special secret spy mission to basically leech off these people till they die. And then inherit the land. So then it will be in Fey hands. Why they couldn't just send an adult broker to buy the land before this? Like, literally just buy it. We don't know. Just buy it. It's not even hand wave to the extent that it's like, oh, the Fey can't own human property. There are laws against us. Which I would have accepted because Fey are snooty bastards. Yeah. But no, no, it's literally just not explained. And they have plenty of money. It's not like the pl- the Fae don't have money. That's like the whole plot is they have all the money. A ruby. The size of a testicle. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's this horrible Trojan horse scheme to, to gaslight this couple into accepting this serpent in their home. Yeah, I like to think that Laurel's mom would have been a real doctor if not if the Fae hadn't nuked her brain from orbit. <laughs> also, apparently in a later book, it turns out that the guard in this one who's always hanging around with Tam poisoned Laurel's mom so that she wouldn't be able to have biological children. Because she might, like, care about them or something. Uh-huh. Fucked up. Might not want a basket Trojan baby. Because as we know, a woman's greatest desire... Is to have. I don't understand why who owns the land would stop people from going through the magical gate to Avalon. But bad, ugly people are trying to buy it is the the important thing. One more point on that front, though. Like, there is a little bit where Laurel kind of is sad that she learns that she's infertile because she's a plant, basically. She's not infertile. She's totally fertile if somebody finger bangs her back. Well, yes, but then she'll just plant a seed. It's one of those things where it's like... Not being able to bear children if you want them is a sad thing, and it's really emotional for a lot of people, but it's very silly the way that this book goes about it. She's totally still fertile is the thing. It's just that she can have consequence-free 
PIV sex. And it is treated as though that's the same thing as sex for me will always be no strings attached, which is a shitty thing to say about non-pregnancy inducing sex. Yeah. Like, like that's not the same thing. Sex is very emotional for a lot of people. I don't for I don't many. know if they uh they told you about this. Like, Sometimes people who physically couldn't bear a child from fucking have feelings. Have have feelings and sex. Like is this what you people think strings are? Yeah. So that's all also happening in the background while we're talking about uh uncomfortable implications. But yes, ugly people are trying to buy the land and this will not stand. Damn. Do you remember when Dorothy was like, Faye are all creepily symmetrical? Do you want to know how we know that the bad guys are bad? Their faces ain't right, y'all. They have, like, droopy eyes and other deformities. Also, there's one that's just, like, fucking Bronx from, from Gargoyles. Her name's Bess. She screams and they kill her. For no reason. She's nonverbal and therefore apparently a lower creature who needs to die. Yep. Yeah. So the thing is with trolls is that <laughs> it's the closest the book comes to trying to do spooky body horror, except it's that you ugly people are upsetting, huh? And it's supposed to be because, oh gosh, I or I, I got the impression it was supposed to be that they have put on human suits poorly, but... No, no, I think that, no, that's not it. Because they exist in meat. That's so much more upsetting. It would have still had the the implications, but I feel like it would have been better if it's like, oh, we've just put on these skin costumes badly. but, But no, no, it's not skin suits. That's the really upsetting thing about it, Tammany says. Trolls are, well, they're almost a glitch in evolution. They're animals, like you, David primates even but they're not quite human stronger than humans as you discovered able to heal faster too it's like evolution tried to make a superhuman of sorts but it got a little messed up just because they're ugly david asked being ugly is just a side effect the problem is that they don't match what do you mean match laurel asked they lack symmetry. Yeah, so uh, being ugly is a side effect of being genetically inferior, according to this book. And the uglier you are, the dumber you are. These things are related. I'll be honest, a lot of this book I was coasting along like, all right, I'm really annoyed at this, but I'm willing to, I'm willing to coast with it as a lot of internalized beauty industry shit, and I'll grit my teeth through it. But, um, Laurel's dad gets plot-relevant sick, and she ignores it as long as possible. Yeah, so it turns out the trolls have poisoned Laurel's dad because it will create a ticking time pot clock where her mom can't, won't be able to support them and the medical bills will dry up all their funds, so she'll have to sell the the property. Laurel is somehow shocked to find out that they don't have medical insurance. Girl, your mom didn't get you vaccinated. Why would there you have? There was an incident with a doctor who tried to examine her once and then was brainwashed by the fairies to go away because she didn't have a heartbeat. 
Again, things that should have been spooky and interesting, but aren't. So there's some dithering about her dad who keeps getting sicker. And we go around and around the same circles. Her mom keeps trying to give him licorice root and all of the natural remedies that don't work. That's not fair. There are many long years of herbal uh, plant-based remedies that were like using active ingredients that did shit. For yeah. generations. But she's using shit that doesn't work and is nothing. Yeah. And then he has to go to the hospital, but only because it's a curse. Listen, if it had been like a real illness, she, she would have gotten in it. her rights to let him die. And then, would you just believe the doctors are experimenting and putting all kinds of chemicals in him willy-nilly just to see if something will stick, which is how doctors do. I mean, it is weird that they're using antibiotics for something that's clearly caused by toxins. These are both things that are stated. Those doctors. Who can say if you can trust them? I think he just uh, fucked up and and got caught by houses people. (sighs) This does think, sound like something I think that happened on an episode of House. He got caught by the ducklings. <laughs> His wife is a homeopath. I don't know. We should. What if we just try we some antibiotics? Our, we have our own beliefs, Dr. House. Grasps her hand tightly in his. I think we'll just have to see what happens. <laughs> oh, my God. Comes in. How are we going to lie to them? They say they don't take real medication. Everybody lies. Look in his medicine cabinet. I bet you'll find aspirin. And that's what's poisoned. <laughs> it's it's spooky when you pull out your Wilgram shit. <laughs> so now the race is on because the race war is on. Between trolls and fairies, of course, because there aren't any people who aren't extremely white. Until, of course, the third book, when we have an Asian exchange student who is, of course, a double agent. An animu boy? An animu girl. An animu girl? Does she have one piece of colorful hair? You know, the Wikipedia was not specific. But it does, it is amazing that it avoids gendering her for a long stretch of the... Of the description? Of the description. And I had... So for a long time, I was like, there's a new transfer student named Yuki, and Laurel tries to get close, and, and but gets brushed off. So Tam, who is now, I guess, masquerading as a human because the book decided we need to do that, decides to get close to, to Yuki, Yuki, and they become fast friends. And I'm like, is this, is Laurel bi? <laughs> or is, <laughs> is Tam bi? No, it's a girl. Tam is extremely not by. Extre- Nobody gets boners when out doing the lonely sentry duty. Nope. <laughs> it's an all-male, extremely lonely post. But uh, nobody gets lighthoused up in here. <laughs> Laurel is an extremely good planning 15-year-old. And normally I would say, look, teenagers aren't good at explaining things. You're all emotions and hormones all the time. But I hate this book at this point and have dried out of charitable readings. Mm. So Laurel does the stupidest shit possible and just yells at her extremely stressed out, bankrupt mom. No, you can't sell the land. I want it for me. And explains nothing else, which... Good. Great. Cool. Cool. And then it's portrayed as her mom literally saying you can't have everything you want all the time is portrayed as railing at her. 
In a better book, I would say, oh, it is so sad how teenagers and parents both have good points, but they're talking at cross purposes. So they've used a good argument at the wrong time. But, but also, Laurel doesn't have a good point. But also, fuck this book. So she decides, oh shit, I guess my only thing to do is I have to go and unmask the trolls. This seems safe and fine. So it- she and David go and look in a window. And immediately get captured and thrown off a cliff. With rocks tied to them. But it's fine because we previously established that she can hold her breath for I don't fucking know how long and exhales pure oxygen. So they do many, many oxygen smooches while she unties him. And then she finally also gets untied from the rock. And then she runs back to Tam, who I still hate, and who has previously now angsted to her about how they had this whole thing, man, and I can't believe you forgot. You gave me your promise ring. I mean your baby ring. And I gave it back to you, and it's much fancier than mine because you're higher status, clearly, but we're not talking about that. Put a pin in that for when we want to angst about it later. Yeah. Like, it really feels like they're just creating obstacles to her relationship with Tam, in an effort to try and give us reasons to care about a relationship with Tam, but it doesn't work. No, I don't really like him. No, I hate him. He sucks. David's much better. And meanwhile, our poor second stringer girl, Chelsea, is over here just trying to be supportive, continually ignored, whenever the plot forgets that this could be a useful thing. She's awesome. She knows a lot about fairies, but we need to repeatedly emphasize that anything humans know about fairies is dumb, stupid human shit. Because humans are dumb animals. And our fairies are different. The ravings of a demented Irishman, babe. Ah, indeed, indeed, indeed. You know what I'm Conan Doyle did get up to some shit. You would assume, right, that Chelsea is hanging around in the background because it eventually... When Laurel gets off her ass and properly communicates and dumps David, then Chelsea will be there to be, like, the consolation prize character. Uh-huh. They don't fucking end up together. They date for, like, a hot second, and then in the epilogue, she married some other dude, and David is alone and sad because he's the bearer of Excalibur now. What? Uh-huh. That's so stupid. I would have at least had Chelsea end up with fucking Tam. No, Laurel and Tam end up together because, of no. course, they do. Uh-huh. No, I hate this. I reject it. <laughs> You have deep feelings about the romance. Apparently. <laughs> I have shallow feelings about the romance, but the romance is shallower. Your feet are not wet in this puddle? Also, the fact is, the fact is that Laurel, on an opportunity to have a movie light night with David, after she had already met Tam, selected the classic film, Singing in the Rain. The extremely- I still make my point. The extremely threesome film, Singing in the Rain. This girl was going for an Eiffel Tower. This girl wishes she could be as blatantly, openly thirsty as Bella Swan. She doesn't have that kind of bravery. Like, bitch, get good. Anyway, they've escaped from the water. They've gone and gotten Tam. He healed Laurel's tiny little scratches on her feet. That's the first injury she's ever had in her whole life. So they completely fuck up attacking the trolls. They kill almost all of them, including the one who is nonverbal and no threat. Motherfucker. Tam feels real bad about it, but like, eh. 
you know, sometimes. But, like, he, he poisons her with eye drops. Um, the main bad guy escapes, of course. And then they go back to the forest, because it's just zigzagging all over the state at this point. They have borrowed Hannibal's murder wizard powers to get back and forth for the various elements of this plot. In David's car that he has with the learner's permit. A more important fairy shows up. His name is Jameson, and he has eerily perfect wrinkles around his eyes that are symmetrical. Look up symmetrical faces, y'all. It's very creepy, actually. This is not, well, they are discount Tolkien elves, but they are not as hot as you are proposing them to be because it is supposed to be hot and not subtly creepy. Yeah, it's very creepy. And this dude's like, hey, oh, our most important and specialist herbalist uh, made this a magical potion for healing humans. It's very precious and important to us. Who knows when we will have a fall fairy who will be such a good herbalist in the future. It's definitely her. And she takes it and she gives a couple drops to her dad and then slathers a shitload of it on her boyfriend's little bruised owie arm. It's hilarious. Priorities. Look, if the old man dies, he dies. (laughs) She's gotta get that dick and gotta keep it in top condition. (laughs) Also, dad's... Again, we, we were repeatedly told that he was dying of toxins, and I don't understand why they haven't tried, like, a solution of lemon juice and cayenne. <laughs> It'll sponge them right out. You can see it in the toilet if you look. <laughs> and then we skip over her. Oh, also the fairies give her a giant uh, $800,000 diamond. Surprise! Makes to, it easy. To pay her mother to put the land in trust to her and we skip over her explaining literally anything to her mom which i want to sympathize with doing exposition scenes is boring and lengthy but also this book's only 279 pages and you couldn't at least do like a cutout scene of hilarious reactions of like explaining literally anything like i know her mom's dumb as shit clearly yes because (laughs) Her brain was irradiated by fairy magic. (laughs) I don't understand why the fairies didn't just do this step one. When she started trying to sell the land, just buy it. (laughs) I don't understand why you needed a a juvenile fairy spy with a Goku erased memory (laughs) to go and steal it and and sit there and inherit it. You couldn't just have an adult fairy pose as a... Do literally the thing that the trolls did, but with fairies now. (laughs) Then it will be in the fairy's name. You saved an entire set of steps. (laughs) And then, I don't know, it's the end. And then we're going off to our Harry Potter pastiche, because she has to go to magic fairy school. Okay. The end. This book wasn't good. It was real bad. And I know we didn't talk about it, much after the beginning but the eating disorder shit is really sort of soaked into the whole narrative as is the valorization of whiteness and a lot of other really uncomfortable shit ableism in particular is one of those above and beyond yeah genetic inferiority makes you ugly yeah and ugliness is in irrevocably tied to and just what It's a lot of borderline eugenicist shit. Yeah, it's really uncomfortable. And 
there's also just the constant equivocation where actual medical treatment versus some bullshit tea is literally just a matter of opinion. They are 100% presented as eh, the same thing. They're all just dumb human shit for, for your dumb meat bodies. And this was, you know, going on uh, t- 12 years ago now. So it was before we started to see the fallout of what these kinds of equivocating stances did. But, uh, you know, even before the plague times, illnesses we beat came back because of this shit. Yeah, this is why in the Pacific Northwest specifically... Measles are a real problem. Again. It's fucked up. Knock it the fuck off. If you can get injections, get them. Mm-hmm. Because we have to keep her- herd immunity. I know that term gets ter- tossed around a lot, but like, it only works if we all do it if we're able. Yeah, and that's how we protect people who aren't able. For fuck's sake, get a goddamn vaccine. I did not expect that to be the upshot of this when we were first commissioned for it. Right? But times have changed. Yeah. (laughs) And I thank you, Jester. (laughs) Right. Thank you. Like, sincerely, thank you, Jester, for for commissioning us on this. Because I, I always find it interesting to do genre books that are very by the numbers in some ways. Because it gives time to to dive into the flourishes more. Which, I should say, structurally, this book is sound. Its bones are 100% prepackaged from other YA novels. And thus, it runs as a plotting. I appreciate that the shitty sexually aggressive boy is also the, the, the boring childhood friend. That's a switch. David for life. <laughs> The book that we've read before that this most strongly reminds me of, although it does share traits with the Don Rochelle books, is definitely The Silver Kiss, mm-hmm. which was, you know, one of the antecedents of this particular variation of YA as a market and the turn of YA from a market to a genre. I mean, in that episode, I'm pretty sure we we had our conspiracy corner of, okay, but Stephanie Meyer definitely read this book, right? She definitely did. She definitely you did. You can never convince me she didn't read The Silver Kiss. I'm sorry. We have no traceable concrete proof of this, but we know it in our guts. Except look at it. Except look Except at it. Except fucking look at it. <laughs> uh-huh. So I guess in a way, it makes sense that uh, this book strongly resembles that one. Yeah. Like, the bones are there. So, uh, don't read this. Instead, maybe read... Oh, gosh, I don't read too much fantasy genre YA. Uh... You know what? I What I'm actually going to do is uh, send you over to my colleague's website, uh, theafficionado.wordpress.com, because they are writing their PhD thesis on YA fiction, and they specifically focus on uh, queer uh, umbrella type stuff. Yeah, no, they, they got a good, they got good shit there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Alex can tell you better what's going on in the modern realm of YA than I know how to do. <laughs> Read those instead of this. I'm definitely far behind, and this also is far behind. Yeah. It very much reads as something ten years behind the curve. Mm-hmm. Also, I just want to point out that the mom is so brainwashed 
thing was just poached directly from Heroes. Which did predate this book. Yes. I'm just saying. Yeah. I think next uh, episode might be our anniversary episode. Our next regular uh, episode will be either another drunk book club or our anniversary. Well, we will have to double check. Some scheduling stuff happening. Happened a lot. Life has been happening so much. I don't know if maybe you noticed at home, but we're doing (laughs) our best to continue bringing content to you. And we're so thankful for your patience and also sorry about it. Yeah. Our car died again. It did. Our car died again. I've said that three times. Every time has been true, but I understand if you think I'm lying. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Now, now, we won't have to get another car this time, God willing. No, we just need need an alternator. But, like, still. Still. Life is happening. So So much. Thank you all for being with us during our lives. (laughs) And thanks once more to Jester for commissioning this and to all of the folks who have commissioned us and who have commissions waiting in future. They are some of our favorite challenges to do and they make us really happy. If you would like to commission us because you liked this episode or have some incredibly shitty thing or interesting thing that you like that you are interested in us talking about, I said interested too many times. God damn it. Shit you want to show the internet. Yes, if you have some shit you want to show the internet, you can go over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash treasures, where we also have bonus episodes and Dorothy's Recipe Guides for B- Drunk Book Club. And we will talk about a thing for you, happily. We try our level best to work with folks to make sure that we are giving them what they want for their money and to make sure that it is a satisfying experience for all involved. If you liked this, consider finding more of our stuff by going on SoundCloud or your podcaster of choice and looking up Trash and Treasures. We'd also appreciate it if you left us a five-star rating or review because the algorithm's fucked and that is how they find us. Or if you would like to email us and you have long-form thoughts, we're at TrashTreasuresPod at gmail.com and we're on social media. We are on Tumblr, TrashAndTreasuresPod.tumblr.com. And we are on Twitter at TrashPod. And funnily enough, the tweet I had saved for this episode is from Jester. Total coincidence. (laughs) Complete and utter coincidence because I'd forgotten they commissioned this episode until (laughs) until an hour ago. Uh, But they mentioned that they, because of our old Drunk Book Club episodes, were picking up uh, Vampcron, which I really would like to emphasize to all of you at home. Salute! to y'all uh this is a terrible idea and also if you make this terrible decision please live blog at us please Please, do tag us we want to know about it (laughs) all right thank you so much listeners and until next time take care of yourselves bye y'all